Hello? Hello, Jeff. Hi. How, how do you say your name? Huh? How do you, how do you pronounce your name? Sturla. Sturla. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Great. So, yeah, thanks. I'm going to take a secret. Okay. Wait a, wait a minute. What did you say? I'm ready to go, man. All right. Well, yeah, the, the thing I really want to talk about is I, I see that you're involved with, uh, you know, harm reduction practices. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. And, and, yeah, I just want to hear about how that is uh, particularly implemented in your where you live. And mm. where I live, people are very, um, in terms of the whole um, – uh, drug addictions, uh, treatment uh, programs are very, they're, they're not really uh, accepting of harm reduction ideas for the most part. And, I, and, I, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to hear about it, particularly how that works where you live, the harm reduction yeah. stuff. Can I just ask you one question? Because yeah. things move so fast. Yeah. What yeah. is your occupation? Oh, yeah, sure. I'm a um, psychotherapist, like a psychologist. In which in which uh, direction? What kind of? Uh... Uh, well, I, I've worked with um, previously. I'm not doing it now so much with a lot of people that uh, use drugs uh, and helping them. But but uh, but um, more of my special. Well, my specialty is more working with uh, teenagers and young adults, and more family problems, uh, depression, anxiety. Is it a psychodynamic or CBT or psychoanalysis? Or? Well, it's more, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of family systems perspective, fa uh, family therapy. That's more my uh, approach. So you want to hear, hear about, uh, okay, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a journalist right. and, uh, and, uh, and a drug addict uh -huh. and an activist. Right. I'm uh, an author. My first book is coming out in... Uh, in the course of the next year. Oh, great! Right. And I'm also a lecturer in media theory. What's the name of the book? Thirteenth Step. And what does that? How do, What does that mean in English? The The Thirteenth Step. Oh, the Thirteenth Step. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, I just wanted to hear because where where I'm actually in in Florida. Um, I don't know if you ever heard. There's this one. I mean, it's a little bit. It's about a close an hour north of where I live called Delray Beach and they have one of the largest communities in the country of recovering drug addicts and uh, but I just feel the philosophies here are just I find very rigid and aren't very uh, uh, progressive in terms of drug addiction and recovery and, and I just wanted to you know I want I mean I obviously from your writings you seem you embrace more perspectives that, that seem to be more in line with my views. I just wanted to hear, you know, how, how, hear more about your your experience, your story, and, and the work you're doing and where you live. Yeah, I appreciate that very much, obviously. Uh, the situation in uh, Oslo, where I live in Norway, is um, pretty complex because uh, Norway is one of the greatest countries when it comes to uh, public health and welfare right, right. because of the money we have and it largely stems from oil offshore and uh, fish uh -huh. Uh, mostly oil so we have this oil fund it's billions of dollars that we uh, spend on uh, making 
making uh, the, our welfare system uh, as good as it's, it can. And we, we've been doing that for 60 years. Uh, we have been building the welfare system for 60 years and we had the oil for 40 years. Right, so right. 40 of those years have been very prosperous. Obviously now the oil prices are going down and immigration is going up, so we have some issues. But still, we, we have, um, you know, public health care and maternity leave and everything. Uh, we have a uh, public uh, kindergarten for everyone. We have a very good uh, health politics. Mm -hmm. And we say, like, society is not better than uh, our weakest links, yeah, you know? Right. But uh, when it comes to drugs, uh -huh. it's, uh, it's a big divergence. Do you understand what I mean about that? Right. It's like an incongruency. Incongruent. Incongruent, yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. Because the way we treat drug addicts mm -hmm. is not the same way that we treat other people with somatic and mental illness. How, how are drug addicts treated? Uh, it's a vast uh, array of uh, uh, concepts. Uh, I can start with uh, one being... Uh, we have two safe injection sites in Norway. Right. right. How, how long have they been around for? Uh, the one in Bergen, that's the second largest city, and it's just opened. And the other one in Oslo has existed for 12 years. 12 years? Oh, wow. That's obviously not enough, because just in my city, we have 6,000 injecting heroin addicts. Right. And right. open to 11,000 in the country. Uh, I guess, well, one of the questions I'd like to ask is, um, well, actually, I didn't say it. One of my real passions really related to this topic and in general with mental health is sort of the impact of trauma on people with uh, psychological trauma, particularly childhood trauma, abuse and neglect. Yeah, uh, and I can say something about what, uh, what my perspective on this is. I can just talk for five minutes and yeah, then Yeah, sure, can... sure. Yeah. Because my main role when it comes to uh, participating in this debate is to take a stance on behalf of my user organization. Right. Right. Uh, it's called Association for Humane Drug Policy. Right. Right. Okay. This okay. is one of four or five associations mm -hmm. which are not under the main umbrella of uh, the user organizations. Right. Uh, because uh, the user organizations is all the other organizations uh, related to the drug field, they are under the umbrella of something called ACTIS. That's a, that's a new speech for temperance movement. Okay. And they are heavily subsidized by the government and also by members' contingent because they have a vast array of different movements and associations ranging from very local temperance movements and Juventa for young people and also something called drug addicts uh, interest organization. That's our like that's our that's our main enemy, and uh, they they get several millions more than us, like fourfold, fivefold. Uh, so we, our main goal is uh, uh, two sided. Uh, one is the pragmatic side. 
that we uh, try to uh, hand out uh, clean needles and not only needles but all the other parts and equipment you need for safe injection right. and also information on the street like out on the streets and our other uh, main focus is to try to move the debate right yeah in the newspapers the media this is and this is my role because I'm obviously yeah I'm a journalist so what I do is basically pinpoint what is incongruent and put forth arguments uh, for which I think the public and also the political opinion uh, should be uh, addressing. And the main topics is that uh, we have the largest overdose death rate per capita in Western Europe and the second largest in Europe. Uh, this is due to what the politicians, now it's a right, centrist right coalition. And uh, their main argument for uh, halting all these things we could have done is their argument about the signal effect. What does that mean? Because it, they mean that if we, for instance, what we, one uh, cause that we're working with is trying to... Uh, actually, it is already been built, but we are trying to... Uh, open because it's not open uh, heroin uh, smoking site oh, smoking oh. heroin because that's obviously much less harmful right. and we have an evidence-based perspective that says all research shows that this will have an impact on the overdose deaths right. but we are up against people both having the majority on their side because they don't have the knowledge because the media does not spread the knowledge right. if we don't do it. And the other one is that they have a, they take a moral high ground. So they, they've put forth a moral uh, argument and the signal effect means that we send out a dangerous signal to kids that smoking heroin is okay. Right. right. Because they put up a false dichotomy that okay, we can have injection rooms because people who inject heroin, they are already lost. They are grown up. They have diseases and they are the junkies. We can... Uh, we, we can... Uh, uh, yeah, we can uh, accept the idea that they just need a better life. We cannot save them from drug addiction. It's too late. Right. But uh, to smoke heroin, that's... It's more associated with, you know, partying and it's more like uh, recreational use. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, not, that's not true. The truth is that if grown-up addicts that have a vast, major, uh, vast array of uh, diseases and social health issues and uh, debt and everything, the reason why they inject is that it's more effective. Because heroin costs a lot of money, right? Because it's on the black market, and they need to get hold of those money every day by doing crime, mostly or begging. Uh, so, but the truth is that we, have, if we had uh, given out heroin 
uh, like they do in Switzerland, for instance. It hadn't been uh, necessary for the black market prices to be $100, $200 per drug addict every day. Because that's obviously much more than they can for obtain sure. by legal means. So if, if, we, if we can see, look for, uh, at countries like Switzerland where the main goal for the politics regarding injecting drug users is that their life quality and their health, uh, life quality should be uh, at its best possible and that they should be able to be given adequate health uh, services and uh, to link up uh, these safe sites for getting cheap, uh, clean heroin and also distributing it on a, in a safe manner. They, we, we can see that what's happening then is that they get a lot of time and resources on their hands because they don't have to chase the 100, 200 bucks every day. They don't have to do crime. They don't have to live in shame. They don't have to feel stigmatized, hunted down by police, which now also have guns. We, ha we haven't had police with guns for 100 years because of the terrorist situation in Europe. Yeah. Our right-wing government have... Uh, uh, forced us in, <laughs> into a situation where police suddenly are able to wear arms. Well, how long ago was that? Uh, we hate it because it's, it's part of a bigger debate about uh, surveillance and, and safety versus freedom. Yeah, no, so, how long, when, when did they start uh, uh, carrying uh, guns? A couple of years ago, maybe. I think only one year after the French attacks. But that's not a big uh, issue. The, the main issue is that they feel stigmatized and hunted down and uh, they are also put in jail. And we have politicians that say that, well, we don't put people in jail just for use. That is not true because they give them uh, fines and the fines they can't uh, pay. Yeah. Uh, then yeah. they will be put in jail. So indirectly they will. And we also have something called a professional paragraph that says if you have over five grams of heroin, you are... Uh, uh, dealer, big dealer. Right. That's not true. Uh, the truth is, uh, which I also have been writing a lot about, is that this is the same people. This is the least attractive job in the world, selling uh, small amounts of heroin on the street. It's like being an All of them are addicts. It's like being an addict and you kind of do a job on top of that and that it's extremely dangerous and uh, you risk violence and uh, being uh, bankruptcy and more disease and uh, yeah everything so they try to say that we need to treat those addicts who are just addicts as patients but we have to treat the criminals as criminals but I want to put forth an argument that these are in large part the same people and we also see their profiling because I have uh, been in debate with both the uh, uh, former uh, minister of uh, foreign affairs and uh, of justice and uh, the current minister of finance and obviously also the current minister of health which I debate uh, regularly and they all they all came up to me and said like uh, I, I totally agree on your perspective when you say that there are as many ways into drug addiction as serious drug addicts and I say that is exactly the opposite of what I'm saying you're not listening to what I'm saying because what I'm saying is that 
the vast majority of the people who end up with what you can call drug addiction levels, uh, using so much drugs and having so big consequences that you are you, you're a threat to yourself and uh, society. This is the ten percent of the people who use other drugs right. and alcohol. Right. And these are the same people with the same profiles. And the vast majority of these 10% of the people who use drugs other than alcohol, we call them the addicts. And if you see their profiles, the vast majority of them, they have the same background. They've been sexually abused, mentally abused. They came from poor families with right. no education, trauma. All of these things. You can just look up, uh, I think it's Feletti. It's an American... Uh, Scientists, yes, yeah. So it's if you go on the uh, on the plateau, plateau, it's called. It's like where you buy drugs in the street, in the Bridge Street. Mm -hmm. uh, you can assess that it's fifty times more likely that the people walking that street has been uh, has been uh, abused right. sexually than uh, in the street uh, parallel street. It's fifty times more likely that the the guy you meet on this street. I've been sexually abused than on the other street. Sure. So I think to them, uh, you say to me, you agree on my, uh, my argument that all ways into drug addiction is, there are as many ways into drug addiction as there are uh, drug addicts. And I say, no, there are some exceptions to the rule, but the vast majority of people ending up in this situation with injecting heroin, like the, the, the junkies, call them what you want, they have... Um, They've been dealt uh, the weakest cards from day one. Yep. Yep. And the, the, the problem with that is that prohibition, though having some upsides, I have to admit, of course, it can uh, f scare young people from starting, people who have very high respect for the law. The problem is that the, the ones with a high respect for the law that that's actually uh, uh, have a positive effect on uh, uh, on pro because of provision. These are the same people that most likely would pull through it without any help from the police. Yeah, that's true. Because the police and the people who are not uh, susceptible of these uh, prohibition and. Uh, uh, the uh, the things they do in the name of the prohibition, like early intervention and uh, drug contracts, contracts, urine, uh, forced urine uh, uh, tests, right. and all these kinds of stuff. The people who are, have the respect for the law uh, in the degree that uh, this early intervention has an effect, these are the same people uh, in a large... Uh, the most of them uh, would pull through it uh, without any help from the police because they have uh, people with parents with education. They have not these trauma issues, uh, and the respect for the law uh, is high because the law is important for them uh, in light of what they want to do with their lives because they want careers and they have the chance to get nice careers, nice jobs, nice family. So it's in their blood to have a respect for the law because they are a part of the power structures even though they're kids because they know but the 20 and 10 percent uh, that don't have the respect for the law that that's not they're not suspect uh, susceptible is that the right word suspectable respectable 
Yeah. Oh, susceptible. Well, you know, susceptible, susceptible. susceptible. They're not susceptible for uh, for early intervention stuff. They're just uh, even more feeling uh, stigmatized and outcast. So they're kind of uh, cemented into the role of being a criminal by being told. So my main argument is that uh, we see the old science and research tells us that. Drug addicts, drug addiction doesn't uh, doesn't huh, how you say in Norway say it's not uh, hitting blindly, but uh, I I don't know the exact way to translate it, but it's 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 the same. The, the, it's it's the poorest, blackest, uh, less educated that uh, suffer the biggest consequences from drug use, and it's the same group of people exactly who suffer the biggest consequences from prohibition. Mm-hmm. And this is very difficult because Norway is a leftist country uh, in the politically relatively to the United States yeah. but even the left because the left has uh, some old ideas about uh, early intervention and uh, protecting the youth so uh, we have to fight a two front battle against the conservatives moralists who want to say that drugs are evil, and also against the left, uh, old left, like the 68 generation, like the like the the ones who were supporting Pol Pot and stuff back in the days, which now have uh, power positions in the media and academics and everything, because they also believe that we should we should uh, protect the kids. Don't they don't understand the <laughs> the structures? Uh, so this debate is ongoing all the time. And the last thing I want to say is uh, before you speak, and I can I can uh, say something more. Yeah. Is that we need in uh, Norway also, which is also uh, not only the the best country to live in, but also the richest country per capita. We have the most resources. We are very. We are very proud to uh, to show our uh, merits when it comes to the uh, global dem- diplomacy. We uh, we have the Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, we we brokered a peace in Israel, the Oslo Agreement. Right. This is in our blood. Uh, it's typically in Norwegian to be good. That's the saying. Uh, but in the drug debate, this perspective is uh, totally. Uh, uh, not there. Wow. I just recently came from Mexico, and in a in a society, in a world, a global market where people, ideas, uh, and uh, and uh, uh, things, goods, flowing over the borders freely all over the world in a global economy, uh, we benefit from it in the Western Northern countries. We benefit the most. Therefore, I mean also we should have um, feel a responsibility also in the field of drugs about which consequences people in our global community uh, in the third world and in the in the uh, almost developed countries uh, and the consequences they have when we buy drugs from them because in Mexico. The killings are mostly uh, incentivized by the cartels trying to 
grab power through spreading fear because they want to protect the transport routes. Because the transport routes go to the American market and through West Africa to the European market and to Norway. Yeah, well, so we, I just yeah. wanted one question. Do they, um, in, in Norway, do uh, drug addicts use synthetic like uh, Oxycontin, uh, Dilaudid, that kind of stuff too? Not in the same degree. No. We have some uh, on the street. You can buy some uh, Dolcontin and uh, stuff like that. But we, are, we have a very strong heroin culture. Like brown heroin culture. Right. So I try to say to my uh, opponents when I discuss uh, politicians and stuff like that, you need to take, you need to also engage in the global uh, argument. We need to see, we cannot just say that legalization is bad because uh, our kids will start using more, even though it's not even true, uh, true necessarily. But we also need to uh, address the situation of the kids in Afghanistan, Mexico, West Africa that suffer the consequences because of their criminal gangs located in the countries they live fight each other over the transport routes in a brutal manner. And this perspective they don't want they don't want to talk about. So the, we have a lot of yeah discussions about that. The newest, uh, the newest perspective is what I hope came through with my speech that was holding a new one. The what perspective? The newest perspective I, I want to put forth that uh, I tried to say uh, something about in the UN speech. I don't know if you read it. I can send it to you. No, I, I, held, uh, I held a speech in the UN. Oh, really? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that, that was why you picked up my name. I don't know. But well, I picked you up off the, uh, the influence. Yeah, that, that is the speech. Okay, yeah, yeah, that I, yes. Yeah. And uh, my main point there is that people use drugs. We have the 10% that has struggled with drug addiction, and we have the 90% that enjoy drugs, other right. drugs. And this enormous group of people, they are being, they are being not the resources are not being put into work in a degree which uh, we have a potential for. Especially the 10%, of course, because they use all their energy buying drugs and getting money. Right. All this energy right. they could spend. As I said, there are 25 million people. This is obviously a very low no number, but this is, the, this is the official number that is probably much, much higher. But even, even, even the 25 million people are hard drug addicts in the world. That's a thousand times more people than they, they took to build the pyramids. I mean, if, if we start to look at drug addicts in a different manner, that, okay, they have problems and we, sh they, we, we should try to help them. But we shouldn't criminalize them and we shouldn't even uh, look at them as patients other than uh, in the respect of uh, that they have uh, wounds and other diseases. Right. Well, I don't know if you're... Like, they should be able to work mm -hmm. well, I was gonna and say contribute, both because we need... Just because... Uh, just going to finish, and okay. you're going to... Uh, not only because we need them, we need the manpower, because 
the societies, the, 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 two, the two big uh, financial crises and now the immigration crisis, we need them. We need the hands. We need their hands. And we, we, we cannot, uh, we cannot uh, ex expect from them that all of them are drug-free before they were, they were put to use. We have to start to put to use people who are still using drugs. Right. And then we need, if you're going to get there, we need to look at drug addiction in a different manner. When it comes to stigmatization, stigmatization and shame and guilt and uh, criminalization. But also the big group, are their researches are not in use in a very good way either because they need to hide their drug use and they lose their driver's license if they get caught and they lose their children maybe and, and all of these kind of interventions they experience and also the stigma they feel make them less effective than they could be and the other part of this uh, that mainly applies the first 10% or 20% depending on which number you want to lean on, is that to contribute has an enormous therapeutic value. So yeah, no, you're absolutely right, all the research. So. Kind of my last visionary, yeah, so my, my last kind of a visionary stance in this, this regard is that, I mean, we should, first and foremost, we should work with the, with the, with the drug addicts, the 10%, and we should put them uh, into better use, even though they are not drug-free, we should find areas where they actually can contribute in a meaningful in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. I agree. I tend to look at uh, some of those programs put up for drug addicts that they they're uh, they're forced to paint an abstract wall or something just to learn how to work whatever uh, instead of doing something that actually needs to be done. And so my idea is that why cannot why cannot we take the twelve step program? And uh, they, <laughs> I'm very critical of the 12-step program. Good, obviously. I'm glad you are. We need more people like you that are. <laughs> yeah, but still, they have some. Uh, even Marriage. the blind, even the blind uh, chicken, and find some corn. You know, and uh, they have a saying called the the therapeutic value of a drug addict helping another is without parallel. I, I agree think we with should. That. Uh, yeah, and I think we should. Uh, I think we should uh, reformulate it and. Uh, conceptualize it by saying all the marginalized groups, the people seeking asylum, uh, the gypsies, also the, 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 the traveling people, mm -hmm. we have the prostitutes, the homeless, drug addicts, I mean, they can help each other. Yeah. Yeah. If they are, if you build a system where they, they fit in. And not only will they solve tasks that needs to be solved, that every day if you look in the newspaper, we see these are unsolvable tasks because we don't have money to solve them. But if we could put them to use by first decriminalizing and then maybe regulating and starting to and don't uh, uh, not uh, ex expect from them all, that they are drug-free before they're put to use. Some of them are, but some of them aren't because they, they're, they're not able to. Not only can we solve the tasks in a much larger degree, if we can get, like, for instance, drug addicts like me, instead of painting an abstract wall just to learn how to work, kind of uh, are, a you a, um, are you a heroin user? 
Hello? If I'm a drug user? Yeah, you know, you told what? me, but do you use heroin? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's my main drug. I, I, try, to, I try not to use it. <laughs> <laughs> and not only can we solve this task, actually, but it's a major uh, potential for a therapeutic value. Because right. I, 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 like to put, I, I like to put this this way. We have, if you, if you look at young people, you know the Maslow's uh, pyramid. Sure, of course. Yeah, uh, we have. Let's let's assess that this is uh, this is a uh, split up in two. We have the upper pyramid and we have the lower kind of a. It's not a pyramid. It's a, it's kind of a, yeah. You know, the 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 low fifty percent of the pyramid, so to say. So the top pyramid. This is when your needs are uh, met in uh, regards of a meaningful life, feeling of uh, belonging, uh, the collectiveness, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. These are the p things we in the North and Western Europe and uh, United States are lacking young people. Don't, they don't feel that life has any meaning. Uh, they live in bigger floor spaces than ever. Uh, they have less friends, they are more lonely, they have high suicide rates, they don't find meaning in life, uh, they don't find a be feel belonging. So we need, we need uh, to those demands, we need those uh, things to be met, to be happy. And we have uh, our counterparts coming from the southern part of the world, which has the exact opposite problem. Because they have a meaning in life that is obviously uh, surviving, and they have a feel of uh, belonging because they belong to the group. They need the group to survive. It's their family, their friends, the group of people they travel with when they try to get from a desperate situation in a dangerous country and uh, come into our country. So we are two groups, large groups, and if we have the put our eyes mainly on the young people. Because I think that's most interesting to, to work with the next generation. We have a large group of young people who have what the other group doesn't have, and vice versa. So my ideas, which I try to articulate slowly but surely in my in my in my thinking, in my writing, is that somehow these this pyramid can be put together. Like they can provide us a sense of meaning by we feel good about helping them because we, we, we don't have any meaning in our lives. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we, we just we're just fucking lonely and alienated. Yeah. But if we can help people from another country that can give us meaning. And obviously what can we give them? We can give them clothes, we can give them food. We what can other give countries them. are you referring to? No, it could be uh, Northern Africa, okay. Middle East, gotcha. Eastern Europe. So we can help them, and then them can they can help us if we meet if we meet in an arena and of and a forum that is built by uh, by the welfare state, and if they have to lay the groundwork for this to 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 be able to happen. Mm -hmm. So why just don't why yeah. just say one drug addict helping another is without parallel? Why well, don't say one marginalized group helping another with different needs and different uh, skills? Why not say that they can help each other and this is without parallel? 
Because I think the main problem for kids in the Western Europe and in the United States today is, and why they start doing drugs, is that they feel alienated. God is dead. They don't have any God that sees them. They don't have anyone that sees them other than people on the Facebook giving them likes or whatever. Wow. They're alienated and they don't feel any sense of belonging. They don't have any meaning in their life. Well, I think uh, well, can I just say one thing? Well, I think one of the things... Um talk now. Okay, sure. Well, one of the things about, especially, I mean, well, now the, 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 the policies are changing regarding pot and, and cannabis, but one of the things uh, I think just, uh, you know, doing, especially with uh, regarding when, when if you smoke pot when it's prohibited, it just sort of makes you realize how idiotic a lot of things in society are, and it just, um, how do I say this? It just... Uh, but, but yeah, um, especially in the U. I mean, I can speak more to the U.S. There's just so much, so many idiotic things that are going on, and, and I agree. It's that lack of meaning that is so so important, and, and particularly the, but more specifically, how the drug policy uh, currently re regarding uh, heroin and opiates is in, in the, the the conversation in the U.S. There's this idea that drug addiction is not a moral problem. It's not a criminal problem. It's a disease, and, and there and and um, and there's some positives to this that that um, that the, the the stigma around using drugs is uh, is lessened, but but um, but but I think uh, but but it's also it's negative in that that they're using these people as uh, they're medicalizing the condition and they're seen as wow we can get these people then other corporations can get these people into. Uh, uh, sophisticated uh, drug treatment facilities and make money off them in that way. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Are you familiar with the whole rehab industry in the U.S. at all? Uh, somewhat. I read like Maya Salovitz and all of the other. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maya but... Salovitz. She she really uh, has a good hand. I mean, she really portrays it very um, accurately. So I'm, I was wondering what your thoughts are on that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now I'm wondering what your thoughts are on what she writes about the U.S. Um, you know, drug rehab industry. I think we need to th rethink the whole idea of drug. Uh, the the main goal. I think the AA and the twelve step movement has destroyed uh, a lot because yeah. their ideas transcend into all corners of the drug uh, rehab complex, even in Norway. Right. Because the main idea there is to 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 let go of your uh, willpower right. and uh, accept God, the higher power, sure, sure. and basically get drug-free, yeah. yeah, 100%. But as I, as I write in the new, uh, the coming next week, an influence article, mm -hmm. I write, I can read. Because I translated it into English. I can read exactly what I'm writing. If you assault people while drunk, it's obvious that you will pay the consequences. However, if you crack an inappropriate joke after an after-party because you had one glass too much, it is just obvious that this is not concern for the big governments. Having a glass of wine with dinner at weekends, even if you teach at the primary school, is regarded as completely normal. For drugs, however, the consequence of your drug use is not the primary concern, but the legality of the drugs. 
And my point is that we need to look at the goal when it comes to uh, working with drug addicts in a different manner. We need to look at uh, life quality and not drug freedom. And we need to have a perspective where people can say, I want to use heroin not seven days a week, but four days a week. Right. This is a realistic right. goal for me. Take a number out of my hat. No, just, uh, as, just as we talk about when we have friends who drink uh, too much. So try not to drink so much. Try to limit it to weekends. I mean, mm-hmm. you just need to reformulate everything when it comes to when it comes to drugs. Yeah, and, and what do you think about, I mean, I, I really like the perspective that uh, Johan Hari, uh, that, that I feel is really catching on, at least uh, in the States. You know, the perspective is that I like that he says that the opposite of, uh, of addiction is in sobriety, it's connection, and it's sort of speaking to the, like how you were saying before, that a lot of people are using drugs because they find no meaning in life anymore, and they're, and they're um, um, in that aspect of it, and uh, I feel that, that that idea is is catching root here, but it, it's still the the twelve step ideology is so pervasive that I, I feel it sort of still dominates the conversation uh, where I live and doesn't really give room for other perspectives enough. Yeah, I totally agree. Obviously, with Johan Harris, a good friend of mine, he visited me in November. We had a we had a, a panel discussion in Oslo. Mm-hmm. Um, he also helps me a lot with uh, uh, reaching a larger audience through his contacts and yeah everything. So uh, I obviously agree with Johan Harry on uh, almost everything. Well, what, what, what's, <laughs> the, what's the point that you disagree with him on? <laughs> no, I just I I, I can uh, my 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 opponents in the discussion. Uh, they point out that he's he's very extreme, like he's black and white. But I always answer that if Yuan Hari only has sixty percent right, that's more than enough right. to to move in his direction. But here's a question for you that I that that, um, that I think is I want to hear your perspective on this. That you know, my, my perspective is that um, I mean I feel that the word addict I don't really love at all. Uh, not the best word in my opinion, but I'll just use it anyway. But I, but I feel that the whole idea that that, that we're to be addicted to some degree is a human experience. So we're all addicted. To, uh, it's just a matter of uh, degree and intensity. I was wondering what your perspective uh, is on that. Yeah, obviously I agree 100%. I think yeah. all of us uh, are addicted. And I think this is also something we have to see in the light of uh, Johan Hari's ideas, which actually are ideas he has appropriated from Bruce Alexander and Gabor Mate. Right. And uh, uh, the opposite of addiction is connection. It is right. not sobriety. Right. And this, this is just, I mean, as Johan Hari also says, I, will, I would love to engage in the debate about Syria and Middle East and what we should do, but I have no idea. Right. I have no fucking idea what to do. I mean, bomb them, not bomb them. I don't have the faintest idea. I don't have either. I mean, my instinct says don't bomb them because they get mad. (laughs) But other than that, it's kind of, it's a banality. When it comes to drug policies, I think it's so obvious what we should do. It is. I agree. It is. 
Uh, I just as he says in this video, which he made with some uh, animators, is really effective. Uh, if you haven't seen yeah, it, I will say. I mean, floor space is going up, and uh, we're looking into our phones, and we have uh, less friends. And if you know Johan Galtung, the Norwegian uh, uh, peace scientist, he's quite controversial because he stands on Israel, but. He has many good uh, uh, perspectives, and he also points out that how we uh, studies showing that we don't even know what our first and second and third cousins' names are anymore. Right. A hundred years ago, if you didn't know that, you wouldn't survive because you needed them. You needed to be able to <laughs> call on your first and second and third cousin. But if you don't know their names, you can't. So we are we are in a, a very much disconnected. Well, well. Anyway, I, I wanted to also touch on this other area that interests me uh, is uh, the, the role of psychedelic drugs, and uh, uh, I haven't I haven't uh, had the experience of using any myself, but but I, I I mean I see potential in this new research related towards uh, ibogaine and ayahuasca to help people or uh, psilocybin to help people have different perspectives on things and. I mean, I've seen some interesting research regarding ibogaine to help people with, um, you know, opiate, uh, opiate problematic opiate use. So I was wondering what your, what your, if you, what your, if you have any opinions on that. I totally agree. I mean, uh, and uh, this leads us back to the to the debate about uh, 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 the words we use. Uh -huh. Because, uh, as you pointed out, addiction is a it's a very difficult word. Should we use it or not? Right. Even right. sure myself. But even drugs, the the word drugs. I think we should. Uh, I think we should dump that word because drugs are so much different from each other. I mean, how they're produced and how they're distributed and what their effects are. We need to look at each drug in and see how we can how we can deal with it some of them we can we can integrate in the society and uh, get positive results in many respects another we need to con con constrain somehow not by prohibiting them or deploying the army to stop people selling them because I don't believe in that but we need to constrain them somehow because they, they don't really have per se positive effects like heroin for instance okay it can be it can be uh, Maybe uh, in a trans transition phase, a kind of a sedative that someone needs to deal with trauma. I, I can I can even see that perspective. But mm -hmm. the drugs you're talking about, mm -hmm. uh, they obviously have a potential for being put to use in another manner. And right. we need research. Right. And yeah. uh, and that's back to the moral issue that money doesn't flow in the direction of research that has an immoral, uh, inherent immoral. Uh, uh, structure. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. researching ibogaine would be very helpful because there are obviously some some dangers with ibogaine and there are. Yeah. a lot there of stuff are. we don't know. But we should at least use a lot of money. Yeah, there's actually there's actually a professor at the University of Miami that did, and near where I live that did some interesting research on ibogaine, but she had to do it uh, in the Caribbean because it was prohibited to do it in the U.S. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And uh, my good friend, uh, the criminologist Nikolai Johansson, uh, he's a he's a student of the 
the, the, the now dead uh, Nils Christie, that is the most famous criminologist, one of the most famous criminologists in, 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 in Europe. And uh, he talks about uh, the politics of research. Like, we don't, like, when we, when, when people uh, define and uh, hand out money to research, it's also a, it's, it's also a, some moral structures that need to be redistributed. Because if, if we see the, 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 the mainstream population have a, in, a, in an area have a, have a small uh, jump in uh, influenza, uh, for instance, if 1% of uh, the mainstream population in a, in a given area suddenly have uh, 1% more uh, influenza or flu, flu you call it, then we, then, then we spend a lot of money to try to, try to find out why. But, but drug addicts and prostitutes, and we don't even know how they, if, if they don't die of an overdose, we have no idea how they die, because it's, it's not researched. So we do, it's actually politics in research. We need to research things that benefit the less privileged, and especially the people uh, using drugs uh, much, much more. Yeah, and this particular issue. I've, yeah, absolutely. I, I was wondering if um, if you're familiar, if you've done any, um, you know, your own research or writing about psychiatric drugs at all. No, I haven't been writing about. Both my parents are psychiatrists, but I haven't been writing oh, really? uh, about uh, about this. But uh, well, but I mean, you're familiar with that 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 part of the drug conversation. I mean, uh, it's it's the capitalist system, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, money for research goes where uh, there money to be made. I mean, antidepressants and the big pharma, yep. and even the re the big rehab complex. Exactly. I, I forget where he's from now. He's from somewhere near you. I can't think of the guy's name. He's a brilliant doctor. He's part of the the Cochrane uh, uh, um, group. Uh, Peter Gocha. You know who he is? No. Oh, I forget where where he lives now. I can't think of it. Where he's, Denmark? He's in Denmark. Oh. Yeah, but he, he does some very amazing research related towards all the sort of exposing big pharma and all the, the, the lies related to psychiatric drugs. So we need to start researching all the other alternatives and we need to, then we need to look at drugs in another manner. We need to say these are not drugs. Drugs is just, a, it's just, a, it's just an illusion. These are different substances with different inherent qualities that should be dealt with differently. Some of them we need to put to use as, as alternatives to pharmaceutical drugs. And some of them we need to constrain in a, in a way that focuses on harm reduction and life quality. What about, are you familiar with the work of uh, Carl Hart? Yeah, of course. Yeah, what, what do you think about his perspectives? I think it's very important because he says... He, and also his background is very interesting because he has... He's actually from the uh, near where I live, not too far ah. in Miami. So he also, he's, he's somewhat like me because he has the, he has the background and he also has the academic. Yeah. Yeah. I think what he says is very important because he, he stresses some of the, my main concerns that the 90% of the drug users which don't have problematic use, uh, their needs are undercommunicated, 
Uh, and also that uh, the drugs themselves aren't uh, harmful, uh, harmful as harmful as people think. It's the way they live because of the prohibition and uh, the stigma. So I think his perspectives, and they are very much in line with Harry's perspective and all these people in the kind of the, the movement we're seeing. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. One, one of the things that he says, Hart, that I like is that, uh, you know, with, with uh, the Reagan administration, there was this idea that, you know, about the war on drugs and that he talks about that, you know, that, that we don't, that, we, don't, that uh, we, we really don't want to have a drug, it's not really a great idea to have a drug-free world, that we never have had one and we never will have one. It's not really a good goal to have. Yeah. Um, and also, the another guy that I really admire is uh, Mark Lewis. You're familiar with him? I've heard, I've heard about him, but no, I haven't, I haven't started reading him yet. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not a big reader. I, I'm a big fan of ideas, and I, I grasp grasp the ideas. So I'm not an academic, right? right. Uh, so I, I I try to to obtain the ideas through uh, my friends who are academics and grasp them and integrate them in my writing. But but I don't. I should maybe uh, dig deeper into the the material. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I have to find time as well. But I think the most important thing is to look at. I look at society and how it's built and then apply these ideas if you can grasp them and try to change it. Right. Right. So we need people like you and me that unilaterally exchange ideas and talk and yeah, it's almost like a revolutionary movement. Out there, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, my, my goal is also not just about the drug, I mean, they're, they're, they go together also really about mental health issues and and trying to educate the, the because I, I've tried to go to more people in powerful positions, and you, it's, it's so they're so resistant to uh, hearing different perspectives. And, and my mission now is just to try to educate the public and, and try to create change through getting the people's uh, to, to getting just really educating the public as a, as a, as a whole. Um, any um, any exciting things that you see going on uh, regarding this in terms of change and policy that are that are that you see happening in the world? Well, what is most interesting in my country is that you see uh, actually that uh, our opponents, like the government and the temperance movement, and uh, they're closely linked and. They start appropriating our ideas. So we have this new strategy where we where we where we talk, where we talk about how satisfied we are with uh, them stealing our concepts because that means that we're slowly gaining momentum, and uh, they are just they're just a step behind us. So we really believe that they they actually listen to our arguments that they just they just move move very slowly. So we try to look at in, in in this matter that we actually winning the war, the war on war on drugs, like the con the the counterattack, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and we are actually winning this. I think that that's a bit funny. Yeah, and I guess like I said, well, I, I wanted to more go back to it because one of my main agendas is uh, related to the whole trauma thing, and I've been. Uh, 
uh, hosting a podcast about trying to just educate and spread awareness about the impact of, uh, of psychological trauma on people, uh, on, on their mental health, and also related to uh, drug addiction. And, um, you know, I have talked to some people, they, they say that, I mean, the majority of people, I, I, I absolutely agree with you that the that the, especially the ones that are really the 10% of drug users that really have a real problem with it all almost always experience some form of trauma in their life. But could you, what, what's your perspective on the people that, that um, you know, have problematic drug use but don't really have any trauma in their life? How, how do you explain that from your perspective? This is a very interesting and uh, difficult question because I think... I think that uh, I think that uh, how can I say it? I think that you have to look at all people individually, obviously. Yeah. And on the one hand, there are always exceptions to the rule, you know. But on the other hand, uh, I think, and this is what I write about in my book, because it's a semi-biographical book about me attending uh, 12-step group therapy, a very extreme... uh, Is that book going to be in English, too? (laughs) You can hope. I mean, you can always hope. Yeah, Yeah, that, that sounds like it'll be a great book to read. I would like to read it. Yeah. I would love you to read it. But I think... Uh, I think uh, if, you, if you dig into all of, uh, all of this, this, these people's lives, you will, and, and you have Johan Hari's perspectives with you, you will most of the time see that there are some degrees of disconnection in their lives as well. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, and, that, and that's one of the, one of the the points you really examine is that you just, you have the uh, the very affluent, wealthy people like the Hollywood people that really become having problems with uh, with uh, substance use. And again, I think you can, from that perspective of connection and meaning, that people that, that are very wealthy that they start uh, the life becomes meaningless too when it's when it's all about. Um, when you're, yeah, when you're very extremely wealthy, uh, you're the, the very, uh, in the top uh, 1% of wealth, then that, that becomes disconnecting and alienating in a certain way. So I think, yeah, I think, I think that perspective, Johan's, uh, Hari's perspective is very inclusive uh, and really has a lot of explanatory power in this. Absolutely. I think we agree on uh, many things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's great. Um, well, that's about all I have. I mean, any closing thoughts that you want to impart? No, I think uh, if you want, if you would, uh, if you would um, invite me to your podcast, uh, 